press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the Journalist of the Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Wednesday, January 4. There's more compensation on the way for Australia's coal suppliers, this time in New South Wales. They'll likely be compensated more than half a billion dollars by the federal and state governments for projected losses following the introduction of the government's coal price caps. Centennial, which is the state's biggest coal supplier, is expected to be the main beneficiary of the deal. The fallout from Queensland's DNA debacle is continuing. Today, it's come to light that Queensland police are routinely failing to take forensic reference samples from individuals accused of serious crimes. That means vital samples haven't been uploaded to the National DNA Database and crimes across the country could be going unsolved as a result. The Pink Test celebrates its 15th anniversary today with Australia's men's test cricket team taking on South Africa at the SCG. The test was established by former fast bowler Glenn McGrath to raise funds for specialist breast care nurses across Australia. We soon realised there was not enough of the nurses out there. That's why we launched McGrath Foundation. We now have 193 nurses and they've supported over 118,000 families, individuals going through breast cancer. And hearing those numbers just blows me away. The pink test has since become one of the biggest charitable sporting matches in the world. Plus, in today's episode, why Ukraine, Europe and your power bills aren't playing nice. The 2022 news cycle has been dominated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing humanitarian crisis spurred by a war with no end in sight. On the fifth day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the war of words has moved up a gear with accusations of lies, genocide and comparisons to World War II. It's also triggered a global energy crisis that's left Australians scrambling to cover ballooning energy bills. Tiki Fullerton is editor-at-large of the Australian Business Review and she joins me now. Tiki, let's take it back to basics. Mm. How does a war in Ukraine result in a global energy crisis? Well, Kristen, I think this global energy crisis is quite complicated and I think Ukraine has added to an existing crisis, which makes it doubly complex, if you like. Before the Ukraine crisis happened, there was a major problem in Europe and that was to do with the speed of energy transition. And in fact, it is a really good case study for Australia to look at, given what the government has decided to do now. But basically, the wind didn't blow, and the sun never shines anyway, but the wind didn't blow. So suddenly, Germany, Europe had hollowed out its fossil fuels, in particular coal, and that led to very high prices. That was then exacerbated by this invasion of Ukraine by Russia because Russia supplied vast quantities of gas directly to Europe and all the way to the UK. So you then had a situation a bit like we've got with Australia and with China. We put so many of our eggs in one basket with China and then we had tensions with China and everyone went, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about that? This was the situation with Europe. And because Europe, obviously, the weather gets so incredibly cold, to have all your eggs in that basket and then suddenly find that your enemy is supplying you with gas created this incredible rush for gas and any kind of, actually, 
energy generation from around the world, and that just ricocheted throughout, creating this global crisis here. As you said, this is a good case study for Australia. So Mm -hmm. what has been the fallout for us here? Well, I I mean, Labor came into power with this huge endorsement about doing something at last about climate change and really pushing energy transition. And it is doing that, you know, on steroids. Obviously, the issues we're tackling, the issues we're dealing with are difficult. And one meeting is not going to solve every problem in the energy system. However, I am pleased that state and territory energy ministers have come together with me in a very cooperative and constructive way and taken material and positive steps forward to help us manage this crisis today and to avoid further crises in the future. And I guess the big question that business has was that even with Labor's policy, until this latest legislation has come through in December, gas was supposedly the transition fuel. Coal was going to go down, gas was going to be the firming power, it was going to sit in this thing called the capacity mechanism, which was a system set up to make sure that you've got firm power, reliable power, like hydro, like batteries, and gas, gas peakers, to back up your renewable energy when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. Now, the government has done a couple of things. One is that it's now no longer allowing gas in that sort of firm power club, if you like, which I think is quite risky. The second thing that's happened is that the government, because of these escalating home energy bills, has come through and it's put a full-on cap of $12 into the wholesale gas market. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has ordered New South Wales and Queensland to introduce their own coal price caps and recall parliaments to enact them. That's one thing. The second thing they've done is made it perfectly clear that there will be ongoing price regulation after that. Now, the problem for the energy sector is that this has led to quite a lot of uncertainty about future investment. And so you've suddenly got some of the really big players like Shell and Woodside and ExxonMobil saying, hey, if you're not going to clearly tell us what the market's going to look like in a year's time, why should we be throwing vast amount of money at developing gas? But the government is really banking on there not being any freezing, very low wind days through winter, and they're not going to be any breakout, blistering hot weeks in summer. La Nina is on their side at the moment. Are we actually likely to get any relief from those price caps anytime soon? Well, you are going to be paying more, but you're going to be paying less than you would have paid had the price caps not come in at all. Now, the government could have actually done this the other way around, or they could have taxed the industry and used that money to actually help sort of take the sting out of these rising prices. Now, the question is, yes, it's less than it would have been, but what then happens after that? Because if it's going to cruel investment and you get challenges over blackouts and brownouts in the system, you do risk something going really badly wrong and then prices really going sky high and requiring, I don't know, intervention leading to intervention. So what that means in a year or two's time, I think is anybody's guess. 
Stay with us. After the break, Tiki Fullerton untangles the forces that are sending your power bills through the roof. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of investment, could we have realistically escaped this if we'd invested in renewables earlier? Well, it depends how you invest in renewables. No one's against renewables. We're all furiously excited about renewables, but we do have this problem worldwide, which is the batteries aren't big enough to actually back up renewables in a situation where renewables can't produce enough power. And at the moment, as I say, we've been pretty lucky in Australia that we haven't had these really extreme weather events where sometimes renewable power can't help. And if we're going to extract coal from the energy system, which everybody wants to do, but if we're going to remove it too fast and we're not going to have gas there in strong supply within a capacity mechanism, it presents quite a major risk. I don't think creating more renewables earlier would have done us any favours. Our problem is that our batteries and our renewable storage just hasn't arrived in time. Literally, it is a transition. And you said this is a complex issue that isn't as simple as a war in Ukraine caused an energy crisis here in Australia. The other forces at play are the rising cost of living and inflation. How do they play into all of this? It's complicated, isn't it? Because rising energy prices are just a part of this. You've got rising house prices, you've got inflation to deal with. So your pay packet now is under pressure. And also the savings that many people got through COVID, partly because they didn't go on holidays, are being run down. So we are in for a bit of a ride over the next, I would say, six to nine months. Certainly as purse strings tighten, I mean, everybody's been spending for Christmas, we can see. But come, they reckon, about second quarter of next year, you're going to see pressure on mortgage repayments for some people. And it's going to take some time for those high interest rates to have dealt with inflation enough for us to start seeing inflation come down and then interest rates hopefully will come down again and then we'll be able to breathe more easily. It was only last week we rushed through this legislation uh, unnecessarily before Christmas and the coalition, the Liberal and National Parties were warning that uh, this massive new bits of regulation uh, could have a chilling effect on investment. And then within a week, we've had confirmation of that. And Tiki, do you believe in these warnings from big energy companies that investment will just disappear? Well, that's another very interesting question, isn't it? I mean, they're talking quite a big talk, but you look at the import terminals, for example, you'd think they were the canaries in the coal mine, if I'm not mixing my metaphors too much, that that these import terminals, once we heard from government that there could be price regulation beyond the 12-month cap, that these import terminals would start becoming perhaps a bit challenging. Their business models would be stressed. But no, two of these import terminals, they've said no, they're confident, notwithstanding what the government has announced. Now, 
Andrew Forrest's Squadron Energy, his Port Kembla plant, they'd like to see reasonable priced gas, the sort of controlled pricing that the government is after in a year's time, because they want to have that gas come down from Queensland, if you don't mind. So they'd like to import gas from Queensland at, quote, reasonable prices so they can make a bit of money with their import terminal. Now, that's all fine, but there's a big run on the gas in Queensland because there's no gas coming out of Victoria and we don't know about Narrabri in New South Wales. And the risk is that a lot of the free gas in Queensland will simply run out. And then government has another problem, which goes back to whether it decides it has to break those foreign LNG export contracts, which is a big sovereign risk issue. And then on the more broader question about whether, you know, if Shell or Woodside or Santos or ExxonMobil start uh, warning about investment drying up, whether they will actually walk the walk on this. And I think some of these bigger, bigger players, they've said, look, they really believe in the long term. They're not talking about one year, two years. They're talking about maybe two or three Labour governments. That's how they see it. And then maybe the rules will change again. Tiki Fullerton is editor-at-large of the Australian Business Review. You can read all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.